This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to our podcast. Today, our guest is Jamie Barwin with Strobel Sharp PLLC. And Jamie works in the trust and estate practice. Uh, Jamie is not only a trust attorney, but she is also a CPA. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you, Gary. So, Jamie, t- tell us uh, tell us some about yourself. What made you, I mean, you know, besides being a glutton for punishment and taking the CPA exam, you also went on and, and got your law degree. Uh, why, why, why would you go this route? Well, you know, what, what was, what was the burning, uh, issue behind that? They kind of pushed you that way. Sure. Um, well, I always have been, uh, encouraged by learning and, um, having a breadth of knowledge. I started in public accounting and had focused mostly on privately held companies and, um, family owned businesses. And a lot of the strategies that I saw, were things I continually wanted to know a little bit more about. Um, I considered going the MBA route, but I wanted to go to law school because I was curious about what thinking like a lawyer meant. And um, I thought it would be something that would be challenging, which it certainly has been, and would also add value to people's lives. So when you when you were um, going through law school and, and things, did, did you think at that point in time you wanted to get into the trust and estate side or what, what got you kind of into that niche? Yeah. So by the time I went to law school, I'd actually been practicing um, as an accountant for a number of years and I worked for a family office at the time. A lot of the planning that we did um, on the accounting side was um, for estate planning purposes. And I really just, I wanted to know more. So I ended up kind of going back a little bit later in life. And um, initially I was, I, when I got graduated law school, I decided I wanted to give family law a try because it was completely different from what I had previously been doing. And um, it just, you know, I, I really liked family law and it had a lot of a lot of great things that actually do overlap with estate planning and particularly on the administration side. Um, but I, I, after I'd done it for a couple of years, I figured that I figured out that it maybe wasn't the best area for me and that I would kind of go back to my accounting roots mm-hmm. and um, estate planning and administration were, was a good transition because it kind of encompassed all of the skills that I had built during up to that point in my career, which I think was maybe I was about, I guess at the time, seven or seven to eight years in, which is why I ended up um, switching from family law back to, or not back to, but more focused in on the estate planning area. Gotcha. So what um, is, what are some of the, the myths and things that um, people think when they, you know, when they think of estates um, and, and, tr- and more trust and 
that um, you want to dispel? I mean, you know, many sure. times I hear people say, oh, well, I don't have enough money to need to set up a trust. Can you mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit? Certainly. And actually, that was the first thing that came to mind, too, is that um, people think that you need to have great wealth to set up um, or to do trust planning. And it's not that's not really true. Um, it is it is a myth. You can have uh, various amount of assets. The biggest advantage of trust planning, especially just basic revocable trust planning at any at any income level, is really just the draw to avoid probate. So even if you went in and just had a will done, and typically attorneys will recommend a will and powers of attorney if you're if you're kind of looking for the most basic of plans. Um, you would still be spending at least $1,000 most likely to, to have those items prepared. And um, then on the back end, when you die, who you leave behind, your executor or personal representative, as it's referred to in Michigan, um, would still have to process your assets through the probate court process. And with the trust planning, you can, if your trust is properly funded, meaning the assets are titled into the trust name that you create, you can completely skip that probate process. And it really just saves time and money on the back end after you die that you can, you can kind of save up front. Right. So, you know, when, when the clients are coming in to see you for the first time, um, what are some of the questions you wish that they would really ask you that, that they don't? Um, that's a good question. So when, when clients come in for the first time, um, typically they don't really, they know they need an estate plan, but they're not exactly sure why they're here um, other than they need to check it off their list. Um, one of the things that I think is important for clients to ask is what happens after I establish my estate plan? So you come in, you meet with the attorney, we draft your plan, you come in, you sign your documents. That's not the last step in estate planning. Mm-hmm. Um, what you need to make sure you do is fund your trust and I think at that point, when we come in, when clients come in to sign their final documents, one of the things that I wish that they would ask, and and maybe it's because there's a lot of information being thrown throughout this process, um, is is just questions about their plan in general. And I've I've had a, a few clients. Um, who I give them their plan and they work on the funding and then they call me about a month later and they have a lot of questions on their plan. And um, I, they always feel bad that they have these questions because we, we do go over them at our, at our meetings. Right. Uh, but it always gives me the most satisfaction when they do call, no matter how far in advance after their planning's done um, and ask those questions. So um, I think that's that's really important. And um, one thing for people to know is, you know, don't be afraid to call and ask your attorney what what you may have talked about a month ago, because it's easy for us. We do it all the time, but we do understand that clients don't do this all the time and they need to kind of absorb it at their own pace. Yeah, because I know I find lots of times when I'm doing tax planning with clients that, you know, not always is everybody good at putting things in layman's terms. So that that's part of the issue that they have. But then also, just like you said, they're you know, they're basically they're drinking out of a fire hose, mm-hmm. and, and you know they need to, to kind of be able to sit back and 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 absorb this information and then come back to you. One of my practices that I try to do with clients uh, when I meet with them and talk with them annually about their taxes is trying to talk to them about life changes and things like that. Um, How often should somebody come back to their estate attorney to update their trust or their will or or any of the documents that you prepare for? 
Mm -hmm. I think you're exactly right on anytime basically a life change happens. And in my mind, that's a birth, a death, a marriage, a divorce. That's always a good time to revisit your plan. It doesn't mean you need to do a complete plan update. Mm -hmm. Um, It it may mean that, but um, a lot of times if it's a birth, you know, your, or, or, you know, in some cases a death, you, you may just need to revisit your plan and make sure that the right people are named. So I think if you don't have any life changes, so everything kind of is going um, status quo for two to three to five years, um, you know, I, I would, I would probably revisit it at that five-year mark because what we do find is that even if there aren't any life changes that you realize when you revisit your plan with your attorney, there will be at least one thing that comes up that isn't exactly the same as, as, you know, you, you thought it was, um, you know, things like, so you may have named a friend at one point or a colleague. And, you know, since then you switched jobs and, you know, you've kind of lost touch with that person. So maybe, maybe you don't want them to be the guardian of your children at, you know, at some point. Um, So I would just recommend life events, as you mentioned, and then, and then at least every five years. What are some of the, the fears that um, when the clients come into you, what are some of the, the big fears that they have and how do you help alleviate those? Mm-hmm. So the biggest fear is death that we deal with. <laughs> I've definitely had clients um, be very, very alarmed um, at the conversation that we have. And um, I, I think that it's it's not something, you know, people like to think about, which, which is, you know, pretty normal. Um, but that's definitely one of the biggest fears. And, and really you should think of it as, you know, saving some, saving some headache to the people you leave behind rather than maybe focusing on your death. But in our planning, we do powers of attorney as well, which a lot of times those are in effect or go, go in effect when you're incapacitated. Um, so also a fear is not being able to make decisions for yourself. Um, and then I think the, the other fear is just kind of understanding the process, the estate planning process and what it means and what you're signing. And you do put a lot of trust and faith into the estate planning attorney that you are meeting with. And so one recommendation I have is to meet with a couple. Um, a lot of times initial meetings aren't, are, are free of charge. Um, so it's really important to find somebody you're comfortable with because it's not even just one plan and then you're done. It's, it really should just be a relationship. Um, even if you're not visiting them every year, um, it's helpful if you can establish in a relationship, people, the, the attorney knows your family. Um, I think that also alleviates a lot of the, the client fear, um, and because they learn to trust, you, you know, it becomes a business working relationship. So uh, you mentioned the, the, the power of attorney. Um, if someone has a power of attorney over you know, a friend's stuff or a parent or whatever, um, what happens with that power of attorney when you know, mom or friend passes away? Sure. Um, diff- um, in most states, or at least I, I'm licensed in Michigan and Illinois, um, when someone passes away, the power of attorney generally becomes ineffective. There are certain clauses. Um, so you can include in Michigan a clause on organ donation. Um, obviously, that would run a little bit after your lifetime. But for the most part, once somebody passes away, their power of attorney is no longer valid. Now, so if I have a power of attorney over, you know, my, my mom's stuff, um, does that also give me um, um, 
you know, advanced directives and things like that? Or is that something that, that we need a different document for? Sure. So that actually also depends on the state. I know in Michigan, um, our medical power of attorney form, our designation of patient advocate, um, does include language um, with respect to do not resuscitate um, because there's not a specific law in Michigan regarding that. So it really, it's really just a state determination. Okay. Okay. So if I have power of attorney over my mom's stuff and she passes away, what is it that I need um, in, in her death to be able to take care of all of her, her stuff? Sure. So, um, so you're saying if she has a power, if you have her, you have a power of attorney over her financial assets, right? And um, she has no other planning. Mm-hmm. Who is in kind of who's in charge when she dies? Right. Um, so the power of attorney, as you had suggested, and I mentioned before, um, that would no longer be effective. So anything in her individual name um, would have to go through probate, which she, if she has no other planning, um, would end up going to whatever her defined heirs at law are. And that is um, a definition that's dependent on the state you live in. And the state is based, it's basically an estate plan the state has for you if you don't have um, a will or trust in place. So, so it really sounds like, okay, if, if somebody doesn't do the proper planning here, then basically we're putting this in the hands of the state to determine right. what happens. Right. And that's not always, you know, that's not always a bad thing um, because sometimes, you know, you end up wanting your assets to go to certain persons, but there is a little bit of a risk there. And there's an additional cost that you can avoid by putting together an estate plan. What are some of the common mistakes that you see um, clients make? Um, That's a good question. Some of the common mistakes I see clients make um, probably the biggest one that we already talked about is not funding their plan or, or not knowing that they need to, to fund their estate plan after they sign the documents. Um, because if you don't fund it, then your, your documents aren't ineffective, but um, it just takes a little bit longer to get your assets to where you want them to go. And they may not go exactly how you wish. Um, right. So, so, so that's one of the bigger, the bigger fun, the bigger issues. And really that comes into play if you have trust planning um, versus just a will. So just to clarify that one of the other, um, one of the other mistakes, and I don't know if this is a mistake, but um, oftentimes people will put together plans and they may not communicate that they've named somebody in their documents as a fiduciary. So that would be an executor or a trustee. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily, like I said, a mistake, but it's, it's always helpful if the person that you name in your documents is aware and kind of can be prepared. And it's particularly helpful if it's a power of attorney, because that person's going to be acting while you're still around. So you're going to know what's going on um, to a certain extent. Right. The- your level of, you know, capacity and ability to be involved. And so um, it it just, it's just hard when there's not a lot of communication between um, a person and their, their fiduciaries. And one of the other mistakes, and this is definitely with planning, that's a little more complex, maybe even planning that involves family businesses is not communicating with your kids on, on a transition plan. Um, 
or or your employees or whoever you or whoever you decide you want to um, take over your business or how you want it handled. So um, communication is really a big piece of this whole process. Yeah, I I, I have seen that a couple of times where um, you know there's five kids or whatever, and you know mom and dad didn't tell you know which child that they were going to be the one who's going to going to handle everything. And then suddenly that child, it's dropped on them and they're like, I don't want to do this. Right. And it's a big um, job. It's not, yeah. it's not a glamour. It's not a glamour position. <laughs> right. <laughs> Unless you're an estate planning attorney in this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then you deal with it every day. So it's yeah, okay. then you like it. Right. So what are some of the um, big challenges that you're facing right now? You know, it could be COVID related or non-COVID related, but what do you, what are some of the big challenges that you're that you're finding right now mm -hmm. um, in the um, estate planning side of things? I think um, amongst my clients, one of the bigger challenges right now is um, while we still haven't, I don't think we've. I don't think we've elected a president yet. <laughs> um, Not as of the start of this interview, it had. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the, the bigger challenges right now is with some of the clients that are higher net worth um, is, you know, what kind of planning do you put in place? Depend and depending on their age, it, it you know it also it also may change because um, you know there's concern about the estate tax exemption being being reduced, um, which which you know, we can easily plan around, but it's hard to pinpoint that right now. Um, and you want to be efficient for your clients. So you don't want to do a plan for them now and then have them come back in six months. You kind of want to draft a great plan for them and they can, you know, have some reprieve from, from you for a little while until you come after them asking if they funded their plan. So that's one of the bigger challenges. Um, another challenge is just, um, you know, just having people understand you know, what their plan entails and uh, making sure that they're, they're aware of like, not necessarily even just the documents, but possibly even the tax implications of their plan, because um, depending on, you know, again, what the law is at different times, um, there's advantages to, and, and depending on income level, there's advantages to, you know, giving assets, you know, now versus later or later versus now. Um, you know, especially if you're considering, you know, recommending your clients take advantage of a step up in basis on their death. So those are those are kind of the, the bigger challenges only only with our political climate for the most part. Okay. So, you know, it definitely sounds like um, you guys try to be proactive in your planning with, you know, with your clients um, and looking at, you know, should we give now, should we wait, you know, and things like that. What um, what things have you learned over time? Because you've kind of done you know a bunch of different jobs type thing, and then and then now into this. What have you learned um, now that you wish you knew back when you first started out? Um, what have I learned? Um, what have I learned now that I wish I knew? You know, actually, um, one of the things I'm continually learning is that you don't have to always know everything to be able to direct people um, appropriately and that it's great to be able to use the resources around you to help, um, to help kind of build out a, a team of people. So, um, you know, when I was younger, you think you have to, you have to, you have to know 
exactly everything. And um, really we find, or I find in my practice, it, I work best when I'm working with clients and, and uh, their advisors. So, um, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm an, I am a CPA, but um, you know, it's, it's better when I'm working in my role as an attorney with tax knowledge and then working with a CPA who's got a lot more tax knowledge. Um, and then on the financial advising side, not feeling like I need to, you know, be concerned about their finances, but to be able to work, you know, as a, as a collective team. And, and that's not even necessarily with clients that have a lot of money. I mean, a lot of people even, you know, a lot of people have an accountant and they have a financial advisor and, um, you know, that's at various income levels. And so just, you know, kind of, you know, knowing that I can leverage and we can work across a team to bring more value to the client. Right. And I, I mean, I totally agree with you there. I, I, with my practice, we're very much on the, the team approach and, you know, more holistic to make sure that everybody kind of knows what's, uh, you know, what's going on. Because I think it's, you know, again, really important. You talked about um, that, that the client may not fund their, um, you know, their plan and things like that, where, if the CPA is involved and the, the financial advisor is involved, you know, along with you, then then it is kind of like, okay, hey, we all collectively need to, to you know, get this ship going in, in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think that that's, that that's really important for us to do. Um, give me a couple of reasons why somebody should use a professional like you in doing um, you know, their estate planning or, you know, wills or, or any, any of those documents. That they- mm-hmm. So I think the biggest advantage is that you're paying for our, you're paying for our service. So you're paying for somebody to understand and explain these documents for you. Um, not for you, but to help you understand and explain them. And I don't know that you always get that if you're, you know, taking a form off of the internet. I, I don't know that you, that people fully comprehend exactly what they're signing. And um, as part of our process, a big piece is the education and the, the follow-up. So again, um, not to harp on the, the trust funding, but if you're going to pull a trust from the internet, you may not know that after, except for after listening to this podcast, that after you sign the documents that you need to, you know, make sure things are properly titled. So I think that it's, um, the, the value is really in the service that you're being provided and then also in the relationship that you're establishing. And, and that's why I, I recommend using a professional. Um, and, you know, not only do I do estate planning, but um, I do probate and trust administration. And there's a lot of nuances um, on the back end. So when somebody dies and state laws that need to be followed that, people don't, I mean, they're just, the information is just not necessarily available and it's something that we're very well versed in. So we can make sure that your trust is, or your will is properly administrated in in accordance with the state, the state laws in which you live. Right. I think I I really like something you just said there is because not only do you do the planning with it, but you also do the administration on the back end. So I, in my opinion, that helps you you know, both sides, because if you're doing the administration and you run into something, it's like, oh, well, I got to make sure that, you know, I update any plans that I've done mm-hmm. to take care of that issue and vice versa. So I think that that's, that that's um, you know, really important. And, and somebody who only puts together the plans and not has never done the administration, um, 
you know, it's, it's important. I mean, it's kind of like me giving, giving tax advice and never filling out a tax return. Right. <laughs> so, um, so what, what does your ideal client look like? Um, you know what, my ideal client is just, is somebody that just needs help, um, that wants to do an estate plan and they need help. They have questions and they come in and they're, they've kind of thought about, you know, their plan a little bit, but, you know, need some guidance. And, and that's on the estate planning side, um, on the estate and probate side or the administration and probate side. Um, you know, again, I, I think we, I, or I get the most satisfaction out of assisting people. So, you know, somebody that, that needs some help and, and most of our clients, it's funny, they, they think they don't, they're incapable of certain things, but, um, I think one of my big jobs and on, and this is on both sides is just kind of helping empower clients to, to realize that they actually do know a lot and they can, they can do a lot on their own, um, they, they can use our services as much as possible, which obviously is great for us because we we charge, you know, because of our fees. But, um, I do find that the, the best clients and the best relationships are those where I'm, I'm not necessarily doing all the handholding. I'm just kind of providing the information and um, certain legal advice. And then clients are, like I said, empowered to, to, to do things on their own. And I think it's particularly helpful in situations where, um, there's a married couple and one of the spouse dies because, um, if you're married or even if you're in a long-term relationship or relationship with anyone, you know, it takes two. Um, and you know, people end up doing, you know, people have complementary duties and a lot of times, you know, maybe the, the surviving spouse may not be the one that was doing all the finances, but it's really cool to see, um, you know, if that's the, if the person that survives is the one that wasn't taking care of the finances, it's really cool to see them be able to, to feel capable to do that. Yeah, it does. It definitely gives them a, a, a newfound, um, you know, respect for what the other person did. But then just like you said, the empowering of it, and you can really see it in them um, as that happens. So for these ideal clients and things like that, what what is it that you want them to do before they come see you? Or is there something you want them to do before they come see you? Um, we have a, we have a questionnaire that we send to clients on the estate planning side before they come to see us, um, that I think it's helpful just to, they don't even have to complete the whole, they don't even have to complete it, but just to like look through it and kind of see some of the questions that we'll be asking. Um, I think to just be prepared that you're going to, we're going to ask you about your financial world. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part of estate planning is to make sure everything's in order because, ultimately it's your assets that are going to be going to in your personal items that are be going to your beneficiaries. So um, just not to be alarmed that you're, we're going to ask for some personal financial information. Um, on the estate administration side, uh, there's not a whole lot that you need to do before your first meeting. Um, maybe consider bringing in some death certificates with you because we'll definitely need those at some point. Um, but just, you know, having, even just having some well-organized questions that you've thought of along the, along the way, um, is useful. And I would also recommend when you come to any of those appointments, um, just being clear on, on what the next steps are. Um, you know, so we usually advise our clients that, you know, this is our process. We'll send you an estate planning proposal, um, you know, and then, you know, down, you know, and, and this and that just so you can be on the same page. But 
um, you know, if your attorney doesn't communicate that to you, just ask, you know, well, what are the next steps? So you're not just sitting out there waiting for them to send you something. And um, on the administration side, um, you know, maybe asking your attorney if there's a checklist of items that you need to be aware of as you're kind of navigating this. And while you're asking for, for their help, there's definitely, you know, things that you'll, you'll need to do. Um, and I would think most, most firms would have some sort of checklist that you can walk away from your first meeting with, at least having some direction on what to do next. Now, Jamie, if, if um, our listeners want to uh, connect with you and learn more um, from you, how, how would they reach out to you? Sure. Um, so I can always be reached on my work line, uh, my cell phone or my my work phone, which is 248-205-2766. And I can be reached via email. Um, my email is jbarwin, so J-B-A-R-W-I-N at Strobel. That's an S-T-R-O-B-L-P-C. Thank you. Um, today, our guest has been Jamie Barwin with Strobel Sharp PLLC. Uh, we really appreciate your time and all your knowledge. Thank you, Gary. This show has been produced by Market Domination LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.